Welcome to the Ascent Church Podcast. We want to come alongside you, so click subscribe to never miss new content. Now, our heart is to tell others about the life-changing truth of the gospel. Would you share this with one friend who might need some encouragement? We love it when you spread the word by sharing on social media and letting us know where you're listening from. Y'all, enjoy today's message. Y'all, it's such an incredible day. So many families to love on and celebrate. So much is going on in the life of our church. It might not seem like it. You're probably not thinking about this, but Easter is actually really, really close. All right, Easter's in March. We're entering a new season today in the life of our church. We're going to prepare our hearts for Easter, the cross, for the resurrection. We're going to spend a few weeks. All we're doing is looking at who Jesus is and what he did for you and for me. That's it over these next several weeks. Now, I, I, I got to say this before we read the scripture, before we pray. But as you know, maybe you don't know, but our, our church has been growing a lot. And we have four services and they're filling up. And we've been looking and having conversations with different organizations about maybe partnering together or merging or sharing space. We're trying to figure that out. Over the last two weeks, we've had two conversations with organizations that seemed maybe a little bit interested in chatting. One of them had a meeting last week. One of them has a meeting tomorrow night. So I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to pray together for our church. Now, this move is not about comfort. It's about reaching more people. We're praying for discomfort so that God can be more glorified. This is what we're studying today, and then we're going to pray. This is Luke 22, 39. It says, Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Prayed this, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Would you pray with me? Father God, we ask you to help us prepare our hearts for Easter. We're busy. We got checklists. We got disappointments. We have hopes. We have stuff going on. May we, in this busy season, focus on you, focus on the cross, focus on who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us. And Father God, our church, as you know, you know more than anyone, we're in a place where we're asking questions. Where are we being led to expand to? Where are we being led to move to? All these conversations that are going on behind closed doors, God, we just ask you to move in those doors. If it's your will, may it be done. Whether it's a partnership, purchasing property, renting, moving, whatever it is, God, be glorified. We're not praying for our comfort. We're praying for your glory. Move in the city, move in our lives, move in our church. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you go ahead and get cozy? Get cozy, get comfy. I want to welcome you today to Ascent Church. My name is Thomas Lane. Most of you call me T Lane or Pastor T. I want to welcome everyone who's new in this house and online, especially our military community from all over the world watching and in this room. Can you welcome them and everyone new? Thank you. Thank you. If you are new around here or new-ish or you're not sure, what do I do? There's so much going on. Let's connect. There's so much going on. Let's connect. You can subscribe on YouTube if you're on YouTube or even in your seat if you want to learn more and be notified when there's more encouraging messages available. Also, I want to challenge you to check in on social. Wherever you're listening to or watching from, check in, connect with us on Instagram. You can find us right up here behind me, Ascent Church VA. You can find me there as well, Pastor T. Lane. We'd love to encourage you. 
all week. Thanks for jumping in. Thanks for jumping in. Um, there's a trend in our culture, and maybe some of you feel this, but I hear this all the time. They say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I don't like organized religion. People tell me all the time, I don't like organized religion. Well, you know what that means? That means you like disorganized religion, okay? Because I have a lot of friends who are like, I don't need the church. I see God in the mountains. I see God in the mountains too. I love the mountains. I love the beach. I love the the rain. I love it. And I experience God there. But the reality is this. If we want to be spiritual people, but if we're saying doctrine doesn't matter, that's a doctrine. That's a doctrine. And if we don't hold to some truths, what we're doing is you have made yourself the ultimate truth decider in the universe. And with all due respect, I've done some dumb things. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've done some dumb things as well. It shouldn't be for us to decide. We should look to Scripture to see who Jesus is, who He says He is. And whether you agree with me or not, what we're going to do, I want you to keep an open open mind today. I want us to look at who Jesus Christ is as portrayed by these Scriptures, the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God. I want to start by telling you a story. In 1955, Billy Graham, uh, does anyone know who Billy Graham is? A few of you, most of you do. Billy Graham, he founded the seminary I went to. I lived in Billy Graham Hall, okay? All right, Billy Graham is awesome. He's a country boy. All right, we got any country boys in the house? All right, he's from, I think he's from North Carolina, if, if I remember correctly. Um, and he was probably the best preacher, evangelist, maybe of, of this century, last century. He's incredible. Led so many people to Jesus. And in 1955, he was invited to go to speak at Cambridge, Cambridge in, in England. And this is a different setup for him, Okay? And according to the stories, according to the reports, he wanted to basically modify the way he spoke in order to reach his audience, which makes sense. And he wanted to make it sound more, um, because he's a country boy, right? He wanted to make it sound more um, polished, more intellectual. So he's quoting these professors and these politicians, and he's trying to be real fancy and use big terminology. And I understand that. I was invited to the General Assembly a few weeks ago. Our delegate invited us, and I went to speak to our lawmakers, to pray the invocation starting off of the session. And it was awesome. But you know what? I spoke a little differently. I didn't tell any Dallas Cowboy jokes. I didn't make fun of my small calves. But I did, and I don't think anyone noticed, I did slip into the prayer a Lord of the Rings reference. All right? No one said anything. No one threw me out. So I think I got away with it. I think I did. So I get what Billy's trying to do, and uh, th- I wasn't there in 1955. This is hearsay, but apparently those close to him say he's a little nervous, right? It's a little stressful. And apparently night one, he tried this new method, zero fruit. Night two, he tried the same thing, nothing. And finally, on I think it was the final night, I'm told, if I got my details right, he basically got up there, he threw out his notes and said this, let me tell you what I know about the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what one of the eyewitnesses said. Dick Lucas said this. He says, I'll never forget that night. I was in the totally packed chancel, sitting on the floor with the Regis, professor of divinity sitting on one leg, and the chaplain of a college who was a future bishop on the other. Now, both of these were very good men, but completely against the idea that you needed salvation from sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. So dear Billy got up that night, and he began at Genesis, and he went through the whole Bible. And he talked about every single sacrifice you can imagine. The blood was just flowing all over the place, everywhere for three quarters of an hour. And both my neighbors were terribly embarrassed by this crude proclamation of the blood of Christ. It was everything they disliked and everything they dreaded. But at the end of the sermon, 
Billy Graham dismissed the audience and invited anyone who wanted to stay behind and make a commitment to Christ. And that night, to everyone's shock, 400 young women and men stayed. Now, you've got to understand, at Cambridge at the time, there was 8,000 students. 8,000. 2,000 of them were attending these events. That's a quarter of the population. And for 400 to come forward and, and to respond, that's a massive, massive, it's a life, it's a, it's a, it's a generation-shifting moment. Because you know why? Because he talked about the blood. Now, I want to ask you, why are you here? Maybe you're here because it's child dedication. That's awesome. We're so glad you're here. Maybe you're here for some motivation. Maybe you're here to learn. Maybe you're here to get fired up for the week. Maybe you're here because your wife's making you. <laughs> Hope not, but maybe. Maybe you're here. Someone at the gym came up to me and said, hey, my friend wants to come to Ascent Church with me, but I don't know if his reason's right. I said, well, What's his reason? He said he wants to come to a sent church because he heard there was a lot of girls there. He said, can he come? I said, absolutely. Just don't be creepy. Why are you here? My daughter, she's two. She comes in. She, she says, she's two. She's learning a lot of words. She says, donut, donut, donut. She wants a donut. Why are you here? What are you doing here? Maybe it's all the above, but it, the, the, here's, here's, here's what I want to say. Unless... You understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. That's what we have to look at. My goal of this series is that you leave understanding. You say, you know what? I know what Jesus did for me. This is the last night of Jesus' life on earth. They, they just had the Last Supper. And uh, Holy Week's coming to a close. And they, they go to the garden to pray. Look, this is Luke twenty two forty one. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now, you know I'm a nerd. You know I love to talk about verb tenses. This is the imperfect tense. This implies a summary. He didn't pray a sentence and call it. He, he, this is a summary of a long prayer, but this is what he's asking. He's surrendering his will. It's interesting, the commentators tell us there's 10 such times in the Gospel of Luke where we see Jesus praying. This is the only time we hear the content of the prayer. It's fascinating. But verse 43 is where it really gets interesting. This is where I want to focus. It says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, somebody say anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What's going on here? What's happening? We have to understand who he is and what he's done for any of this to make a lick of sense. So like I just said, it's the last night of his life. They just had the Last Supper, and they go to this place where they like to pray. It was dark. It was Passover, so the moon is out. They could see a little bit, but it's dark. It's a garden. It's a place called Gethsemane. Gethsemane means uh, olive press, so it's probably, it was olives, a way to press them to make olive oil. It was a garden full of olives. Jesus, last night on earth, he literally took his followers to an olive garden. Now... And he knew it too. Now, I don't know about you, but if, it, if I knew it was my last night, I would pick someplace a little better. Maybe Carabas, anybody? It's way better than Olive Garden. Now, if you know something about Jesus, or maybe you know nothing about Jesus, this seems out, out of character, doesn't it? Jesus, cool, calm, collected. He's in anguish. He's sweating like drops of blood falling from him. Jesus faced angry mobs all the time. Jesus stared down Satan 
He squared up against the devil. He slept in storms. He silenced storms. He fed thousands with scraps. He's not shocked at anything. He's not caught off guard. He's not surprised. Sometimes he's emotional, yes. He's filled with compassion for the crowds. But this is the guy who, who raises the dead. He bellows and rages at death. He raises the dead. He heals the outcast. This is the one who goes into the temple and flips tables over. This guy's afraid of nothing. And then he goes to this garden, this olive garden, to pray. And he's in anguish. What's going on here? We have to look at what's happening because this seems a little bit out of character. What's going on here? Commentators will tell us this, and I 100% agree. The best picture we have at what's going on in Jesus Christ's brain and his mental state throughout Holy Week, throughout the cross, throughout the resurrection, right here, is right here in the garden. We see more of what's going on in his heart and his struggle in the garden than we do in the cross. This word used for anguish, it's agonia, it's agony. He's in agony. And the gospel writers take their most time to, to tell us how painful this was. Not at the moment of the crucifixion, but leading up to it. It's fascinating. It, said, and, uh, it says this. It says, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, we don't know if that's a metaphor or not. Like drops of blood. It could have just been gushing. It could have literally been sweating blood. What's fascinating, though, I, we don't know exactly, but here's what we do know. Luke, in his gospel, he only mentions blood here, not at the crucifixion. Which is fascinating because the crucifixion is a very bloody event. He would have been bleeding from head to toe. But blood is only mentioned here, I think, to highlight the agony of this decision, of this difficulty, of the struggle, of surrendering his will. Perhaps he was sweating blood. There's a medical condition. I'm not a doctor. I'm probably going to say this wrong. I was pre-med for like three weeks. But we didn't cover this at this point pretty sure you say it, hematohydrosis. If you're a doctor, just shut up and tell me later. <laughs> Nerds. It's this, it's a condition in which capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood occurring under conditions of extreme pain, sorry, extreme physical or emotional stress. Also, it's this, it's fear and intense mental contemplation are the most frequent causes. There are Documented medical examples of people literally sweating, sweating blood. There's so much pressure. That could be what Luke is describing. Luke was a, a, a physician, if you know anything about him. So maybe that's why he's interested in this. We don't know. Why is there so much pressure here? What's, 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 he's not even been crucified. What's, what's going on here? The gospel is being played out. What's the gospel? The gospel is this, that you and I are more sinful and flawed than we'd ever believe. But at the exact same time, you're more loved and accepted in Christ than you could ever dare hope. Jesus Christ did not come primarily to be your example. That's what most of us in this room think. He came to teach me how to live a good life. And did he, is he our example? Absolutely. Scripture says we should imitate him. That's true. But Jesus Christ did not come primarily to be your example. He didn't come primarily to say, act like me and you can earn your way to heaven. Be good, be generous, be kind, forgive, and then God at the pearly gates, he might let you in. No, no, no. He came to do what you could not do for yourself. He came to live his holy life in perfect obedience to God. He came to die in our place. We switched places. He took our sin. He took God's wrath. He took condemnation. And we took what he deserved with freedom, peace, love, acceptance by God. He came as your substitute. 
He came as your substitute. I, I want to ask you this. What, what's going on right here? Um, let me ask you this. And don't answer it. But what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you? Or maybe, maybe it's not happened. What's your greatest fear? Don't put your hands up. If I were to guess, I've talked to a lot of people. I'm going to guess um, for some of you, it's losing a loved one. For some of you, it's physical pain. For some of you, it's death. For some of you, it's abandonment. For some of you, it's to die alone. For some of you, it's to be falsely accused. For some of you, it's to be arrested. Have I covered them all? You need to understand this. Jesus faced all of them at the same time. And he was radically innocent. Radically innocent. Not only did he face what you deserve, not only did he face our worst fear, not, not only did he face all of them together, but the wrath of God was coming down on him. God's fierce anger at sin was coming down on his head rather than on ours. This process is beginning. Isaiah 53, 12 prophesied about it. He said, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's for me. That's for you. Tim Keller put it like this. He said, Jesus is the first and last person in history to be told this. That obedience would bring a curse. The Father is essentially saying, right here in the garden, basically saying this quote, if you obey me, if you're faithful to me, I will forsake you, cast you off, and send your soul to hell. And yet Jesus obeyed. Even as he was dying, abandoned by his father, he called him my God. Words that in the Bible were covenant language conveying intimacy. Even though he was being forsaken, Jesus was still obeying. Anguish. There's some theories that this is what's going on. By some commentators I really respect, really respect. That the idea is Jesus knows he's about to be betrayed. He talked about it. He knows he's about to go to the cross. It was the plan since before the foundation of the world. He knows he's not stupid. He knows, he knows it's happening. He knows it's about to happen. And some commentators say this. And I kind of like this. He, he went to the garden where he loved to pray for one more prayer time with his father. One more session. Where every time he prayed up until this point, when he prayed, he was surrounded by the Father's love, right? There's love, and there's grace, and there's mercy, and there's intimacy. But when he went this time, he started to feel the Father withdrawing. He could, for the first time, sense it, experience it. Jonathan Edwards says this. He now had a near view of that furnace into which he was about to be cast. He stood and viewed its raging flames and the glowing of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. Knowing it's one thing, but being there and starting to feel the heat and see the flames is a very different thing. That may be what's going on right now. We don't know. It's a theory. I have three kids. My oldest son is eight, but he's already like this tall on me. I'm mentally preparing to discipline someone looking up, right? We love to play sports. We love to play basketball. We love to play everything. We love to play football in the house. Anyone ever broke something playing football in the house? They were literally, don't tell my team this, they were literally just playing baseball in one of the green rooms in the back. My, both my sons, nothing broke, praise the Lord. 
But my son's this now, but when he was probably two or three, he, he was, we were in the house, and by the grace of God, I was home from work, and he was playing football. He's running around the house, and he's running this way, like this, fast, looking back, and he runs into this, a corner. And it wasn't just a corner, it wasn't just drywall, there was a metal beam under the, under the paint, and he runs real hard, boom, full speed, cracks his head open, blood is everywhere. His head is split. It's probably two and a half or three. By the grace of God, I was home, um, stopped the bleeding the best I could. Blood was everywhere, and we got it. We ran, we sped to CHKD. We get him in, and he's hairy like me, so it was tough to even see what was going on. They gave him a sedative, which didn't really work, but I appreciate them trying. <laughs> tried to clean it up, finally could see what was going on and said, okay. They tried to numb it. They did their thing. They finally said, um, we have to staple his head. We're gonna be, we got, this cannot get infected. This has to close up. We can't s- sew it. We have, to, we have to staple it. We have to give them at least eight staples. They literally had a staple gun. And they said, and you have to hold him down. This is one of the worst, um, hardest moments for me as a father. So I was covered in his blood, and I, I've, I said, buddy... I said, Daddy has to hold you down for a minute. I said, it's going to be fast. We have to do, I'm sorry, but we have to do this. I'm sorry, we we have to. And I grabbed him. He's little at this point. I could handle him. Grabbed him, (laughs) held his arms, held him on the bed, held his head, and just kind of pinned him. And the doctor held with one head and just ate. Ka-doom, ka-doom, ka-doom. The physical pain wasn't the worst part. The worst part that the whole time, I'll never forget, he, he screamed out for me the whole time. Daddy, why? Daddy, please stop. Daddy, please let me go. Daddy, please stop this. Why, Daddy? Daddy, please stop it. Please let me go, Daddy. Is that what happened to Jesus? No. You see, my son got himself into a mess. And he had to get stapled. He had to get metal Cast through him, shoved through him. But that was for his healing. Jesus got nails shoved through him, not for his healing, but for your healing. And the father didn't come to the son and say, I'm sorry, this is going to hurt, but we have to do this. We have to do this. The father did not have to hold Jesus down and pin him. This is the moment where Jesus Christ freely laid down his will. He said, not my will, but yours be done. He laid down willingly. Not because he had to do it for himself, because he knew he had to do it for us. It was either him or all of us. And he laid himself down. Those are the only options. And this is that moment. It's like he's finally coming to, it, he's finally coming to the terms. I have to lose the love of the Father for them to get it. I have to go to hell for them to get heaven. I have to be rejected by the Father for them to be accepted by the Father. This is when it comes to a head. That's the agony. That's the anguish. See, some of us don't like that. We're like, it feels very, what's the word? It feels very primitive, people have told me. Primitive. God's a God of wrath. Well, listen, all throughout history, we have been disobeying. All throughout history, we've been walking away from God. 
And when we walk away from God, we, we deserve to be out of his presence. No one in this room, we could sit down for coffee right now and you couldn't make a case to me that you deserve God's love. You couldn't say, well, I followed him every day of my life. There's not a second I've turned. We've all wandered. We've all walked away. We've all done that. We, we've walked out of God's presence. Every one of us. Different degrees, sure. Don't, care, don't compare yourself to your neighbor. Compare yourself to a holy God. And we've walked away from God's presence. We, we don't deserve to be in his presence. And if he is the source of all light and life and joy, what do we deserve? We deserve death. We deserve darkness. That's what, we, that's what we've earned. And it's not just something you've done this week. It's something humanity has done forever. Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the beginning. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is the first Adam. In a first garden, getting this first command. Basically, obey me about the tree. Obey me about the tree. That's what God says. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is called, it's a strange phrase. He's all, he's all, in the New Testament, sometimes it calls him the second Adam. The second Adam? How's he the second Adam? Jesus is the second Adam. You, you know where he goes? He goes to a second garden. Getting basically the same command. Obey me about the tree. Except it, with the first Adam, the tree was the tree of life, Right? knowledge. It's a living tree. This is a tree of death. The first Adam was told, obey me about the tree. He did it. We did it. Failed. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, goes back into a garden. Basically takes the same temptation. He's told, oh, God tells him, obey me about the tree. He triumphed. He laid his will down. And because he triumphed, we will triumph if we're in him. Through the first Adam, sin was brought into the world. Through the second Adam, sin was nailed to the cross. Once and for all. Tim Keller tells a story. I heard it in passing. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it for you real quick. I'm running out of time. There was a pastor. who met a man. They were chatting. I think they got coffee. They were, they were chatting. The pastor said to the man, you know, when, when, did, when did faith become real for you? Tell me your story. And the guy said, interesting story. Um, 1955. Cambridge. I was, at, I was studying at Cambridge. Cambridge. The pastor said, oh, what, what happened there? He said, it was the night Billy Graham came to speak. The pastor said, uh, which night? The man said, the final night. And the pastor asked that man, he said, what would you remember what happened that night? And the man said, listen, I don't know everything. I don't remember every single detail. But all I can remember is leaving and knowing for the first time, you know what? Jesus really died for me. I want you to know he died for you went to the garden for you. He faced temptation for you. He laid down his will for you. He, he, he took your sin and shame. He did it for you.
You're loved. You're fought for. He pursues you even to this moment. He's not done with you yet. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you. We thank you, Jesus, that you're a substitute, that you took anguish so that we could have joy. You lost hopes we could have it. You laid your life down for us, not deserving it. We thank you that no one held you down. You laid yourself down willingly. A willful act of love. Father, if there's anyone in this room who does not know you, who wants to? Father, help them know that they can know you today. We can repent. We can turn away from running our life. God, we can ask you to run it. We can lay down our sin. We can lay down being our own master and Lord. We can, we can follow you today. Help everyone in this room know no one's beyond hope. No one's beyond redemption. No matter how far they've run, you can run farther. You can pursue us. You can chase us down. If anyone in this room, if you don't know Jesus and you'd like to, if you don't know God and you'd like to, if you don't know where your eternal destination is, but you want to leave this room certain, just like that one man was, that you know what? Jesus died for me. If you want eternity to be yours, heaven to be yours, your slate wiped clean, you could pray something like this. Not out loud, but between you and him, you could say, I repent. That means I turn back. I turn back from making my life all about me. I'm going to make it all about you. I want to serve you. I want to honor you. I want to follow you. Wash me clean. Not by my good behaviors, no, 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 but not by my attempts to obey, no, 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 but by the blood of Jesus. Wipe me clean. Wash me clean. Give me a clean start, a fresh slate. If you prayed that prayer or something like it, we believe heaven is yours. We believe eternity is yours. We believe that right now, as of this moment, you're adopted into the family as a son or a daughter of the king. With all heads down and no one looking but me, I want to pray for you right here and now if that's you. If you've received him today, if that's you, for the first time, if you prayed that prayer or something like it, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior right here and now, with no one looking but me, would you shoot your hand high in the air? Because I want to pray for you right here and now. I'm not going to ask you to call him up or forward. I just want to pray for you. Praise God. You may lower your hands. Father God, for the three hands I see in the back, I ask you to fill them with your mercy, your love, your Holy Spirit. I thank you that they know you are not done with them yet. May they walk out of this room wherever they go this week, next year, next decade. May they walk around like that man did knowing that Jesus died for me. Fill them with new life and hope. We love you, God. We thank you that you're not done with this church. You're not done with this world. You're not done with us. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being part of our online family. Be sure to check out some past messages that will be sure to encourage and challenge you. And y'all, let's partner together to reach as many people as possible with the life-changing truth of the gospel. Would you help others find this podcast by rating it and leaving a quick review? And if you're local, we'd love to meet you. Check out our service times online. Thanks for subscribing, sharing with a friend, and we will see you soon.